You're listening to Renew Economy's weekly podcast, an update on clean energy and climate policy. With Renew Economy's editor, Giles Parkinson, leading energy market analyst, David Leach. Welcome to Renew Economy's first uh, weekly podcast for the year, and um, what a year it's been um, already in the first two weeks. We've got a lot to talk about, uh, politics, blackouts, huge electricity prices, energy policy, backflips, um, and it's going to be quite interesting. And David Leach is joining us as usual. Welcome, David, to 2017 and to the first podcast. Uh, thanks, Giles, and thanks for having me again. And uh, I think we've got a big job in front of us to um, fix up decarbonisation here in Australia and fix up the electricity and gas system. What's what's on your mind? The first big image of the year was bringing that lump of coal into Parliament House. Um, it was even lacquered so it wouldn't stay in the hands of the politicians that wanted to touch it. Um, can you tell me, what did you make of that? Well, I simply made uh, of that, the, the, the coal lobby is right in Scott Morrison's pocket. Uh, and Scott Morrison, I think, is keen to be in favour of coal, which does produce a lot of export dollars for Australia. And I think there's a particular fight going on at the moment in the Galilee Basin in Queensland, uh, where some members of the coalition want to give a billion dollar subsidy to see that region opened up for a major export coal mine and perhaps developing some new coal-fired power stations in Queensland. Uh, of yeah. course, there's been a, no one, no one in, the, in the electricity industry wants that. It is basically the coal industry that seems to be chasing. Absolutely, because one of the big things we've heard from the coalition this new year is um, let's build new coal-fired power stations, something called ultra-supercritical. And um, as you mentioned, no one actually wants to build those. The uh, fossil fuel generators don't want to build it. The investors don't want to finance it. Um, but bringing this coal into uh, Parliament um, politicising this to some extent, it seems to be having an impact because um, promoting coal, doing a scare campaign on renewables seems to have forced the Labor Party already into a, um, into a backflip on its target. It doesn't seem to be willing to stand its ground. Well, as, as much as coal, I think it was the big blackout in South Australia, um, which does have a, a high percentage of renewable energy in its electricity mix, uh, that's uh, that's uh, caused a major sort of uh, problem for the for the industry, and what I uh, particularly gets gets me is the role that AEMO AEMO the National Electricity Market Operators had to play in this. Uh, I, I was shocked uh, at an article you wrote, Giles, uh, which basically the where the chair of um, AEMO uh, Tony Maxson said that an alteration of the ride-through settings on the wind farms would mean that that same sort of blackout wouldn't happen again. And by implication, uh, it wouldn't have happened if those settings had been in place in the first in the first place. Now, considering that the wind farms in Europe were set up that way 10 years ago, I, I find it incredible that knowing that South Australia is dependent on wind, that AEMO hadn't m- taken steps to make sure that the best ride-through settings were there. I mean, that blackout so what, what, cost $350 million. Sorry, $350 million, and it needn't have happened at all. I, 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 it's just incredible to me. Yeah, look, well, I mean, what you're talking about here is that this is actually a management issue and not, a, not an issue about what sort of um, um, technology we've got um, pumping energy into the grid. Um, and, and this is a really important factor. And it was repeated again with the partial blackouts from last week. Essentially, the report came out um, this week. 
And AEMO has admitted that um, for a start, it got its forecast terribly wrong. Um, when it did have to take action, the uh, network operator got its software wrong and cut off three times more people than needed. And when the um, when it actually came to the crunch, the, it was the fossil fuel generators that um, failed to actually deliver. Some of them had basically melted in the sun and, and some of them were offline for, for other reasons. Um, how do we get around this uh, management issue? Well, uh, all of the... I mean, the AMO's got a new chief executive, so I suspect the organisation will, will sharpen up quite a lot uh, over the next year, and there's going to be a lot of reports written about it. But uh, underline uh, your your question is that we're going to need some changes in market rules. I mean, it's not really a question of price. I, I, in, in one sense, I don't blame Angie, the owner of Pelican Point, for not dispatching electricity if it doesn't have to under the law. Uh, but um, uh, on the other hand, it's now just... Now, that's an interesting one, David. I'm going I'm to stop you there because that's an interesting one. Onji doesn't have to under the law, yes, because it might decide it's got an economic case to keep um, to um, to keep idle. But one of the interesting impacts is that Onji owns Simply Energy. Simply Energy has lots of customers in South Australia. The result of its decision not to switch on its generator is that some of its customers lost power. Is that a good thing? Look, uh, I... I'd, I'd... I guess the point I'm trying to make here is ONGI on acting in its commercial interests is one thing, but where I think the public is going to get upset, including Liberal voters, is the, is the fact that a, it's not nothing to do with renewables. It was to do with AEMO not acting in accordance with its ability to act and misreading the situation. And what this points to, like the five-minute settlement rule or the 30-minute settlement rule and a variety of other things, is that um, the rules, the system... The management practices are just not keeping up to speed. Whether it's the AEMC with its uh, a lot of inquiries that don't always produce much real action, we, we're bogged down in an ideological um, debate instead of getting on with the practical matters of fixing up uh, the system. Now, if we just get out of South Australia for a second, electricity prices are skyrocketing around the country. Whether you look at the spot price or the future price, the gas price is skyrocketing around the country um, and Hazelwood hasn't even closed yet. We are... Well, it's, it's interesting that... Um, it's interesting, I mean, because you, you talk about that and, and, um, and nowhere, as, as you have pointed out, have, have, have they skyrocketed as much as in Queensland, which is predominantly a coal state and gas. It's got almost no large-scale renewables, and its prices have been extraordinary. I think last week you pointed out it was well over $400 a megawatt hour. During the heat wave, it averaged $800 a megawatt hour, and I think at the 4 o'clock peak in the afternoon, it's been averaging this year $1,600 a megawatt hour. Now, those are just ridiculously high prices. I presume they come around because of the lack of competition in that market. But it basically just goes to say that there's something fundamentally wrong with the system, isn't there? Well, that's right. And in fact, as Origin uh, Chief Executive Frank Calabria said on the company's results call today, they lost money in Queensland over the weekend uh, because the spot prices were so high and they weren't sufficiently hedged. Most of the time, the spot prices don't matter uh, because hedging takes care of it and, and the spot prices are just an indication of supply and demand. But the, the spot market is also rorted. Uh, an example that was pointed out by a reader on, on the Renew Economy website is the pump storage hydro in, in Queensland, which doesn't even operate all that often because the, the same people that own that also own coal generators and make a lot more money out of running the coal mm. generators. So another feature of this stuffed-up market that we're getting into is there's too much concentration of power in the big generators. 
you know, th it's just the, the whole system is falling down. We used to have a lot of uh, uh, retailers and a lot of generators, but we're getting a, a smaller, more vertically on integrated and concentrated market at the moment. Uh, we've got the networks taking full advantage of their regulatory ability. We've got the AMC and the AMO that can't keep a good handle on the situation. And we're bogged down in a political debate. Where is the person that is going to sort of take charge and take us forward into sensible policy the way much of the rest of the world is going? Well, we do have a Prime Minister, and his name is Malcolm Turnbull. And um, rather amusingly enough, uh, Renew Economy revealed this week that he's actually expanded his rooftop solar system. He's now got 14 kilowatts of rooftop of solar on his rooftop. Interestingly enough, he's also got 14 kilowatt hours of battery storage in his house. Now, is he setting an example that the rest of us should follow? Uh, absolutely. I mean, he can, of course, afford it. I mean, uh, in the circles that he mixes in, um, no one really cares about the price of electricity or their electricity bill. It's, it's just irrelevant compared to all the other bills they have, and, and, and that's just a fact of life. Uh, I do think when we turn to South Australia, though, uh, that battery storage and, um, is going to be an important part of the mix. And when we look at the near term and the choices that the South Australian government has over the next year or two, never mind new transmission and other, other longer term solutions, what can they do over the next year or two? They can have some demand management. Uh, they, can, they can get um, Pelican Point. They can rent that. Uh, and they could do something with storage. I mean, that's where they could actually show a bit of initiative, both at the household and utility level. Uh, I think the, if you looked into it carefully, the economics would be there. And Giles, uh, the, the, the bigger point here is that if, if we need a, a kind of report and a model similar to those that have been done overseas in America uh, that demonstrates how what the future grid actually should look like as a practical example, something that combines the generation, combines the networks, combines the transmission, looks at the distributed side of things and says this is where we want to get to, this is a realistic target, this will give us energy security and here's where we are now. This is where we're going to, and this is how much it's going to cost. I mean, this whole argument's been done in, in a complete data vacuum. Yes, well, I mean, the last, um, the last big report we had from the government was the um, Energy White Paper, which didn't even acknowledge climate change, so that's a bit of a problem. Hopefully that actually comes through with the Finkel Review, which is in train. Uh, it was a bit disturbing this week to hear some of the Conservative commentators starting to attack um, the chief scientist, saying he wasn't qualified um, to um, to comment about this because he was just a uh, an electrical engineer and had no experience of electricity <laughs> markets. That worries me a bit. Um, yeah, look, and, and it's interesting with South Australia too. I mean, you make a really good valid point, um, a really good point there. Interestingly enough, um, South Australia is already at over 40% wind energy. It's probably going to be 45% by the end of the year when the stage two of stage three Hornsdale projects are completed. And what's really interesting is that um, Snowy Hydro has commissioned an extra um, has commissioned an extra one hundred dollar one hundred megawatt plant, and Origin Energy has also commissioned two um, stages of one hundred megawatt plants. So the amount of solar coming into the grid is going to be quite extraordinary. Uh, yes, no, there is a, quite a bunch of wind and solar, although it's still not going to replace Hazelwood. And one of the other points that I think we do need to acknowledge is that we need uh, um, that wind and solar is, is not dispatchable and just building more wind and solar in one place will not give you energy security. You know, 
if we if all the wind in Australia in the NEM is built in South Australia, it will continue to go to zero or close to it from time to time. And, and, and so we need to move forward on the dispatchability. Nearly all the industry wants to do it with gas, and I suppose gas is part of the answer, but I personally don't think it's the whole answer, and, and we all need to work harder. And that's why it was so disappointing, Giles, coming back to your opening comments, to see Bill Shorten today, who obviously hasn't got a clue about the topic. I, I can live with Labor abandoning, in the end of the day, the 50% target. I wish they wouldn't, but if they do, I can understand it from a political point of view of wanting to make themselves a small target and take it off the agenda, let the states do the heavy lifting uh, on the renewables, and, and, and Labor can just get back to its tr traditional stuff. But what really gets my goat is that Shorten doesn't seem to have a clue about anything to do with electricity at all. Yeah, look, it was terribly disappointing this week, and it just seems that that policy change is designed solely to actually cover the tracks and defend the fact that he can't actually prosecute that argument. And um, and the point I was trying to make today is that Labor is going now to rely on an emissions trading scheme, which does have its merits, but without a separate target. I think the modelling from the AEMC, which Labor cites but doesn't go into detail, actually suggests there's going to be little wind and solar because it's basically a scheme which will favour gas because by pricing by pricing carbon or giving them a benefit, it kind of makes gas more competitive against wind and solar. So um, I don't think they're going to get the 50% renewables out of that that they say they will. In fact, if the modelling is anything to go by, they'll probably go backwards. And um, I just think it's sort of it highlights the paucity of good, solid argument at the political level, and it's clearly driving business and the industry itself absolutely crazy. Well, this is the point. I mean, it does need, like the Finkel report will, will do something, but it's not going, as far as I know, to be backed up by a proper study. And in, in, in my opinion, I've said this once, I'll keep saying it, the industry Australia needs and deserves a proper, decent, funded study something such as the state of charge report done by Massachusetts government last year, but even broader than that, that looks not just at the, at the battery side of things, but the, but the whole system um, and uh, probably actually could all, uh, model out the new generation. And someone else needs to be looking at the entire system of regulation, the AEMC, the AEMO, COAG. I mean, you know, these guys, if this was a football match, we'd be down a long way at three quarter time. <laughs> well, look. Let's hope we get back into the um, get back into the last quarter. I mean, I don't know what the biggest famous fight back is in the last quarter, but um, we're probably going to have to do one of those. Look, David, it's been great talking to you once again. Um, we'll be back here at the same time next week, looking at those um, whatever happens in the next seven days. And I think there's going to be a few interesting things. Um, a couple of important battery storage announcements uh, for the households um, coming up. Um, and for transport, so that's going to be interesting. And I guess we'll just see how the politics play out over the next seven days. Giles, David, Giles, um, what, what are you hearing about when the uh, Powerwall 2 is actually going to turn up here? Well, we've been trying to sort of nail that one down. I think we were sort of, um, we are informed it should be here by now, but there's been some delays and I haven't been able to um, understand why that is. But um, That's not like Tesla, we'll is it? They're there. never late with anything. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, look, I've actually got my name down for a Tesla Model 3, but um, I'm not too sure one if I can afford it or two of us going to arrive anywhere near the due date of 2018. I guess we'll see. <laughs> I'll buy it off you at a discount if you don't want it. <laughs> I might be able to afford to run it a couple of times around the, around the, around the block and um, then you can have it. 
David, it's been great talking to you once again. Um, talk to you next week. Cheers, Charles. Bye-bye.